and welcome to Under the Grid, the podcast exploring the history of Milton Keynes from the collections team at Milton Keynes Museum. We delve deep and not so deep into time to tell you some of our favourite things about the area and share our discoveries from working at the museum. I'm Catherine, I'm the archivist. I'm Sarah, I'm the collections officer. And I'm Tabitha, I'm the archaeology curator and collections conservator. We should give a content warning for this episode. It contains talk of human remains and animal sacrifice. Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween! Yeah, happy Halloween! Today's special Halloween podcast episode is going to be about the Passenham Church and Rectory excavations of 1965 and 1966, and the fantastic diary of the excavations by O.F. Brown, which was retyped in 1986. So, are you ready to? hear some very fun stories. I've heard Patternum is pretty spooky. Yes. I'm excited. Me so too. I will be reading um, a lot of passages from this man's diary, um, as this is what makes the story so interesting. So we begin the diary with a frame of historical reference to the excavations. These excavations pertain specifically to the rectory and to the obsession with trying to find evidence of a battle between the Saxons and the Vikings of Passenum, and the excavations were carried out by the Wolferton Archaeological Society. So settlement at Passenum began probably in the 6th century. This date has been given due to the Saxon origin of the name Passenum, as well as those of the surrounding settlements, Deans Hanger and Puxley, but Passenum is not mentioned in historical records until the 10th century. From time to time over the succeeding years, Danish forays occurred across the demarcation line with Saxon England, and Passenum owes its first mention in history to one of these periods of disturbance and was recorded in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. In 921 AD, before Easter, King Edward had the fortress of Toaster occupied and fortified. The same summer, the Danes from Northampton and Leicester went to Toaster and besieged the fortress the whole day. I realise quotation marks don't work on a podcast, (laughs) but were driven off when reinforcements arrived. In the autumn, King Edward went with the levies of Wessex to Passenham and encamped there whilst the fortress of Toaster was being reinforced by a stone wall. And this is our first mention of it. There must have been, for those days, a sizable hamlet or township already in existence at Passenham before King Edward camped there to be worthy of its name being recorded. Almost certainly with its wooden church and adjacent burial ground as the dedication of the Passenham church to St. Guthlac, an 8th century prince and hermit in the Fens of Crowland, suggests an early church there. In 937 AD, King Athelstan gave the, to one Sigulf land at Dinis Hangra, Dean's Hanger, near Newton on the River Ouse. If this is the modern Dean's Hanger, as suspected, Newtown should be Passenham, which suggests that the township had enlarged after Edward's sojourn there. So the camp, it has been conjectured for many years past that some of the banks in the fields by the cricket hut at Passenham were the remains of Edward the Elder's camp. And in 1957, Dr. Wainwright at St. Andrew's University visited the site and apparently gave it as his opinion that the broad bank and ditch still visible in the pasture to the north of Passenham Manor are likely to be part of the defences thrown up by the English during the campaign against the Danes, which culminated in 917 AD. Though reluctant to disagree with this quote-unquote authority, I have myself 
um, studied the ground, long held the view that these mounds are field bulks in an area of heavy ridge and furrow. It would seem indisputable that this plough land must post-date King Edward and therefore very unlikely that centuries of cultivation over the site would leave much trace of a camp. It is unfortunate that Dr. Wainwright died before his intended digger passed him, which would have resolved the matter one way or another. Did the ghost scam? Maybe. <laughs> I... I... <laughs> Passenum excavation seems to be long cursed, so this is simply the beginning of the um, unfortunate history with trying to break ground at Passenum. So this is a fairly normal excavation diary so far. We begin with a hypothesis of what the excavators might find, as well as some historical context. It is the next section which may cause slight more concern, which begins... It is well known locally that human bones are frequently turning up at Passenum, and the records of these finds cover nearly a century, some oral and others from written sources. Those known to me are as follows. 1. 1973, an entry in the Paris Register by Reverend G.M. Cathal. While some workmen were excavating the ground of the dining room of Passenum Rectory, they came upon six human skeletons. In the northeast corner were two, were two, a woman and a child. In the northwest corner, a male skeleton. In the middle of the room, another male skeleton. Two skulls seem to have been fractured before death. Perhaps the rectory stands on the site of a battlefield, for the Danes were defeated at the fords of the Ouse Close to this house in the year 963. So they were just digging out their dining room? Yes. And six full skeletons? Yes. Oh underneath the dining room. That makes you not want to do any refurbishments on your house. <laughs> Absolutely. So the second one, it is recorded that during the incumbency of the Reverend G.M. Capel, I don't know if it's Capel or Capel? Capel? No idea. In 1910, a number of skeletons were found underneath the rectory buildings, which on examination were thought to date from the time of Edward the Elder. So this is, what, 40 years later? Still under the rectory, more skeletons. Like, and they say a number, not even a specific number. No, they don't Could be any number of skeletons. Also, Edward the Elder, he is Alfred the Great's son, isn't he? Yes. <laughs> uh, this next one's my favourite. Okay. This is from the Northampton Daily Echo, January 21st, 1916, in an article entitled What the Gale Revealed at Passenum. Amongst a great deal of imagination and verbosity, this relates that in a recent storm, several old elms were blown down by the church and the rectory. One of the elms, which was a victim of the wind, had stood sentinel at the east end of the old church for nearly two and a half centuries, and, quote, their roots flung high several skeletons which were in a good state of preservation. One of the skeletons, which was so unceremoniously resurrected, measured over six feet. At the base of the skull was a deep dent. The bones were reverently reburied in one common grave by the rector. So the tree has like upended and its roots have brought up the skeleton. Yes. Oh my lord. So imagine waking up to that one morning. <laughs> like looking out your window and going, oh, there's just a skeleton hanging from a tree. The article further states that about 60 years ago, so 60 years before 1916, when a vault was being dug for the rector, 40 skeletons were discovered. This statement is somewhat suspect as Reverend Lorraine Smith is buried with a normal size monumental slab to the south of the chancel in the churchyard, where doubtless the remains of previous internments were disturbed, but hardly 40 skeletons. So, so they're not disputing they'd have found skeletons, just 
40. 40 seems seems quite a lot. Like how many are we, are we up to yeah. now? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, we don't know because one didn't have, specify the number, it just said many skeletons. Yes. So it's six, a number, 40, but that's disputed. And how many do you think they thought would, think would be reasonable? Well, it's a battlefield that they're looking for, so the more the better. The more the merrier. <laughs> the more the merrier. Uh, another instance is mentioned when during the residence at Passenum of the late rector, that's our friend GM Capel again, the skeleton of a man seven feet long was unearthed. What? Wow. This giant was dispatched to one of the museums and the experts there declared that it was the framework of a Goliath Dane whose skull bore the imprint of a Saxon arrow. Unfortunately, it does not say whether this was one of the skeletons found in the rectory. It has been said that the bones from Passenum were sent to a museum in Bristol, but the City of Bristol Museum informed me, the writer of the diary, that they have no record or knowledge of this. But they state that parts of the museum collection were destroyed by enemy action in 1940. Sir Frank Markham recalls the gale of 1916, which blew down several trees on the stony Stratford end of Passenum Lane, but the Daily Echo reports and locates only traces by the church and rectory. So we don't know exactly what's going on. <laughs> but I'm more interested in where the seven-foot skeleton's gone. Yes. <laughs> need to find that. Do we know where any of the... Oh no, some are reburied. Yes, so we know from the journal that, some, that a lot of these ones were then reburied by the church. So further reference is found in the Kelly Directory in 1910, which reports that several human skeletons were discovered under the floor of the rectory in 1873, and two skulls were sent to the Trocadero Museum in Paris and another to the City of Bristol Museum. So Bristol, we've got some questions for you. And why Paris? Yeah. No idea. <laughs> 1873, you need a museum to send it to, right? So around... 1932, two Dean's hangar men, while working in the old Tithe Barn, also discovered human bones under the floor. And another man from Dean's hangar, a one-time head gardener at Passenham Manor, tells me that 20 to 25 years ago, human bones were often unearthed in a bed in that part of the manor garden, between the west wall of the churchyard and the river. And another man from Pottersbury, about the same time, found many in the iris bed along the back west side of the old Tithe Barn. So they're just digging up bits of people whenever they do the gardening? Yes. I knew I didn't like gardening for a reason. Yeah, it's definitely. <laughs> so we've got one more, which is in 1847, during repairs to the rectory again, a drain was laid running and the workmen came upon three skeletons only a few inches below the surface of the ground. Dr. W.A. Swinton of the British Museum is recorded as saying, the skulls were all apparently those of young men in the prime of their life, for the teeth were in excellent condition, not a sign of dental decay, though the molars seemed to be ground down somewhat more than the modern diet of soft foods would warrant. The thigh bones were 18 inches long, showing that these young men must have been nearly five foot nine inches tall. Referring then presumably to these three skeletons and two previously mentioned as exposed by the Gale in 1916, though the Daily Echo gives no number, it is stated, four of the bodies were buried with the heads to the west and feet to the east, whilst the fifth was head to the east, most of them had their arms stretched alongside the bodies. So that's indicating that they're Christian? Yeah, because of the orientation of the burial. Yeah. So that is, up until the point of this excavation, all of the recorded human remains found at Passenum. That's quite a lot, to be fair. That is a lot. Considering Passenum's pretty small. Yeah, and the fact that it's just when you're gardening. Yeah. 
I'm amazed anybody is still digging in Passenger. I'd be scared to yes, I think I, they are. Plant my bulbs. <laughs> so now we get on to the excavation. During the winter months of 1965 to 66, each weekend saw a handful of archaeological society members turning up at Passenham Rectory. And as it occurs to me that the activities there were, for various reasons, never properly recorded, I will here relate my recollections of the affair. Although the passage of time has served to dim some of the detail, the main outlines are still clear in my mind. To fully understand this discovery, it is necessary to recall that the old rectory house at Passenham has stood empty for many years since the incumbent's residence was transferred from there to Dean's Hangar in the mid-1940s. The reason for it still remaining unoccupied was, apparently, that Mr. A.D.A. Lawson, who came to Passenham Manor in the early 1950s, quote, did not want anyone living so close to him. As a result, the building was just left to the processes of decay and dilapidation, aided by the constant removal of bits and pieces for use in the repairs of other buildings on the estate. The main cause of the rectory's condition being the removal of tiles from the roof to replace those damaged or missing from the roof of the tithe barn. At the time, Dennis Minard, the lead digger, was committed to other work, so the supervision of the Passenham excavation was undertaken by Keith Tull, for many years the society chairman, and he and I turned up practically every Saturday and Sunday, being joined at different times by three or four other members, including the teenage Anthony Fleming, now an inspector of ancient monuments. Permission to excavate within this room of the rectory had been obtained from Commander Lawson, and he subsequently showed a certain amount of interest in the progress of affairs by appearing, seemingly in the course of his Sunday morning walk with his dog, a golden retriever, which showed rather too great an interest in the bones being unearthed. (laughs) Its owner himself was very little better as he invariably emphasized his questions about the bones by prodding at them with his walking stick, usually succeeding in the process in disturbing their positions. Prime archaeology here, at its finest. Oh dear. Such were some of the problems of archaeology on the Lord Manor's estate. There were, however, compensations with this site. It was inside under cover, and there was a fireplace where old pieces of wood, of which there was an abundant supply in the building, could be burned so that it was possible to work in a reasonable degree of comfort unimpeded by the winter weather outside. Ooh, that, that sounds, sounds quite nice. Really nice, yeah. actually. Yeah, I wish I could have a fire next to me while digging. The room with the skeleton lay at the north end corner of the old part of the rectory, with two windows on the house frontage. With this skeleton were one or two pieces of coarse grey pottery and broken segments of a ring loom or fishnet weight, which probably dated from around the 7th century. But it was not considered possible to state that the skeleton was of the same age since the ground had been clearly disturbed at an earlier date, perhaps when the house was built. Now that the loose surface soil had been removed, several pieces of bones were exposed along both the east and west walls, and it was then possible to clear away the compacted earth around these with a modicum of troweling and brushing, the best tools of archaeology. Eventually, a complete line of bodies, bodies is in quotation marks and I have questions about that, Um, was exposed along the west wall of the room, though as can be seen in the plates, only the lower part of these, roughly from the pelvis downwards, could be seen. The upper parts were covered by the west wall, the bottom of which actually rested upon or was an inch or so of these bones. The skeletons must therefore have been very apparent to the workmen of 1626 when this was built as Sir Robert Bonastro's manor house. They probably removed some lying in what became the centre of the room. So they... Saw skeletons, built their wall on top of them anyway. 
Yes. Whoa. The notable features of these remains were, they all lay in the same horizontal plane and the close proximity of one skeleton to another. The only possible explanation for this was that they were all buried at the same time and in a communal grave, packed in closely size by size, side by side, which posed the questions of when and why. As will be apparent from the notes in background to the excavation, which we discussed earlier, the view has long been held that the bodies unearthed around Passenum were the men of Edward the Elder's army who died of wounds or illness while encamped there in 921 AD. Had we therefore located part of that cemetery? As usual, the press got hold of the story, mainly, I believe, through Sir Frank Markham, the society's president, whose son was in journalism, and the usual wild and inaccurate reports were printed in several newspapers. However, there were no associated finds with this line of demi-skeletons, nor regrettably with a similar line, though this time the upper halves, which disappeared under the east wall at the front of the house. So it is not possible to make a definite attribution of them to this period, though it seems this was the probable reason for such a mass burial. The problem did not, however, end there. <laughs> Further revelations were in store for us. Clearing away the soil from around the feet end of the skeletons, there appeared to be an area of darker, softer soil in a rather hard and gravelly brown earth of the rest of the floor. And following these, there emerged two or three individually dug burial pits at a lower level than the skeletons. Thus, if the mass burial dated from 921 AD, these must be older Saxon burials, though again, there were no associated grave goods. To confuse masses even more, Digging was continued in the middle of the room, beyond the remains, down to the natural gravel and the water table, and there it appeared that the upper soil went down in pointed pockets into the natural, with deposits of friable black material in their apices. Were these the remains of post holes, and was this part of the palisade of Edward the Elder's camp? It could be a great discovery if it was, but on the other hand, if this was so, then the mass burial could be not of men of the army as they lay above the series of earlier distinct graves, which in turn are post holes. So that sentence is kind of confusing. Basically, if that's his palisade and those holes show that where the timbers were, then the skeletons can't be from the mass grave at the same time because they're so far above it. Yep. And with no associated grave goods, there's no way to tell. But there's no way to tell that the post holes, if they are indeed post holes, have anything to do with the battle. Absolutely. There's no way to tell for any of it. They've just got, so we've got a set of skeletons, holes. another set of skeletons, and some post holes. And none of them are from the same period. No. Just by layers, but there's no grave goods to help determine a period at all, other and, than that 7th century pop. And there could have been more skeletons that were in the middle of the room, but the builders removed them from the middle of the room, just not the edges yes. of the room. You know, cutting corners in, in uh, 1626. Gotta get that building up. Yeah. <laughs> it was thought advisable at this point to suspend operations pending expert advice. And to this end, Professor Hawkes of Oxford, considered to be a quote-unquote Saxon expert, was contacted and he agreed to come and give his, his opinion. The weeks and months went by and the professor never came. Whilst in the meanwhile, the rectory, unable to be locked up and made secure because of its state of collapse, was visited by various people unknown. Bones were scattered and dispersed, the trench section trampled down, and after one weekend, there was found the scene of some quote-unquote black magic ceremony with pentagon, cabalistic signs, and cockerels with their throat cut. Whoa! Wow. 
Cockerels as Cockerels, well. yes. Multiple cockerels. Does it say how many cockerels? It doesn't specify how many cockerels we <laughs> just, used in the black magic ceremony, I'm afraid. Like skeletons that we have no idea. Whoa, so the site was open to anyone that could, that could come along. Yeah, because they couldn't lock it. And then it got destroyed by apparent Satanists. Yeah, though I think proper Satanists probably wouldn't have bothered. No. <laughs> so, uh, 1966, some people having a, 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 bit of a, a bit of a good time and ruining archaeology for everyone. Um, as a result of this, the site was ruined and no definite conclusion was reached upon the significance of the findings. And one can only feel dissatisfaction with the non-appearance of Professor Hawkes failing to come and advise an enthusiastic society with what in fact, might have turned out to be an important discovery. Yes. These feelings tempered with regret that greater actions were not made by the society to persuade him or some other knowledgeable person to actually condescend to come and give an opinion. As a postscript to this excavation came the rebuilding of the rectory in 1983 and further evidence then unearthed. By the 1980s, the house was totally derelict with the exception of the front wall and Commander Lawson began in his declining years to develop a conscience about this listed building, the decay of which he had actually assisted, and decided to sell it to Don Ritson, chief architect of the Milton Keynes Development Corporation, who was very keen to buy and build on the site. In his scheme, the front wall was propped up whilst everything behind it was removed to be replaced with a new structure, though it was then found that the north end of the frontage, that part which formed the east wall to the rector's study, was slipping and had to be taken down and built up again. This involved taking a trench across the front of the house for footings and other installations, and from this came several bones, mostly leg bones, which would be the lower halves of the skeletons we located inside the room. Apart from this, nothing in the way of remains was found beneath any other part of the building, nor in a trench running westwards from the back of the house to the river for drainage installation, which produced only medieval fishnet weights and a few pieces of pottery which had clearly been, at some time fairly recently, deposited in the mud at the top of the riverbank as a result of dredging the river. Unless, therefore, a further extension of this burial area exists to the east in the front of the house, it seems that its boundaries have been defined fairly closely by the excavation in the rector's study, and the matter must rest there for present. And that's the end of the diary. Now, if only this were the end of the tale, but it is not. <laughs> There's more. 55 years later, the Milton Keynes Museum came into the possession of some human remains from Passanum. Upon further inspection, it was discovered that the Passanum collection of human remains was being held separately by a number of organisations within Milton Keynes. And we have endeavoured to bring the collections back together. In one such box was a skull with a number of other bones which were recognisable as Passanum remains from relevant photos which were stored with the remains. We decided to examine the bones, along with the other set which came into the museum, when we noticed a goat leg bone hidden among the human remains. Upon turning the goat foot over, it was clear that there was something etched into its surface, a black and red eye. What? Now, likely... I as in the letter I or I as in... An eye. An eye. Yeah, yeah, an eye. A, an eye. a black and red eye. letter I would be a lot... <laughs> well, it would be dull, but I just wanted to clarify yes. for the listeners. Absolutely, absolutely. A black and red drawing of an eye and not the letter. Of course, this is probably just a joke from some archaeologists, but given the seeming curse around excavating Passenum, we do not know. 
Is that the end of the tale now? I don't know. I don't know what the end of the tale is. I think the end of the tale is we need to get all the passman stuff together and see if we have everything from the excavations. Yeah. I'd also like to know uh, the people living in Passenham and Deantanger who decided to go and take bones from the site. Yeah, we need to get those back. Yeah, we do. <laughs> so if anyone's got any lying around in their house. Or they find any in their garden. Yeah. <laughs> Is, are people still digging up human remains when they do their gardening? I have not been able to find any reports of modern instances of human remains coming up in Passenham. So the excavation diary seems to indicate that um, there is a defined area to where the human remains were being found, which was the rectory, the tithe barn, the manor. And then if we believe the Northampton journal rather than the eyewitness account, the trees that had the skeletons come up were only the ones around the churchyard as well. So we know we have a very definite line and all those buildings have been redone, which we saw when we visited Passenham. So it's a possibility that actually that is the delineation and there are no more skeletons to be found. But who knows? Who knows? So if you live in Passenham, not in or around one of those buildings, you should be safe to dig a pond or plant some bulbs. Well, you know, most likely. <laughs> it's such a shame because it sounds like it could have been a really important archaeological site. Absolutely. The um, just to put it into context, the Danelaw line was along Watling Street in the River Ouse, and so Edward the Elder and his father, uh, King Alfred, and his son, Ethelstan, were fighting the Danes who lived sort of in East Anglia. And this would have been quite the battleground for them because it was that border between, you know, Danelaw and Saxon land. So, yeah, that would have been quite an important site. And it just got ruined. I blame Mr. Hawkes from Oxford. Yeah. Professor Hawkes. Professor Hawkes from Oxford. I don't think he deserves his title. Yeah. They should have got somebody from France across. Where was it they sent that skull? The Trocadero Museum in Paris. Yes, they should yeah. have got him to come across. Well, as the author says, he says it's partially that this professor never showed up and partially that the society then didn't make an effort to persuade him or to get someone else. Um, which is a shame because I think it could have been quite an important site. And because it got destroyed, there's just no, there's no way now of working out anything. It is a shame at the lack of... Um, associated material goods but if it is a mass grave you're not you're not going to necessarily have burial goods to begin with and if it's a mass grave you open it you put the bodies in and you close it immediately so the idea of having material culture which survives in that is massively an off chance because it's someone drops something mm. that's basically what you're going to get and interestingly, Passenham is actually in Northamptonshire, isn't it? Yeah. It's just really close to Stony Stratford. And I guess if it was in the designated area of Milton Keynes, it might have got excavated properly when they were building Milton Keynes. But mm -hmm. because it's over the border, it never got done in that way yeah. with the development of the new town. So. It's a shame because it seems like even though the Walton Archaeological Society were all amateur archaeologists, it sounds like they did the excavations correctly um, in regards to how they excavated it layer by layer and looking for the material evidence. But it, it seems to be one of those issues where um, amateur archaeology isn't taken seriously. You know, if this had been a, a professional unit, is it possible that that professor would have come down a lot quicker? He probably thought they were exaggerating yeah. what they'd found and they'd found one leg bone or something and they'd seen hundreds of skeletons. 
Yeah, absolutely. So it is a it is a shame, and it's you know we have what they found at least, and so in the best way possible, we can attempt to kind of put together what we have based on their evidence and what we have based on the actual material finds in front of us. And maybe it could be a case for looking at carbon dating the bones, because obviously with no material culture, there's no date. So given that we have the skeletons, could we then send some off for C14 dating to actually get at least a time period? And then could we then go forward from that to make an assessment? Would be, be amazing. Yeah. Would be. So if anybody listening would like to give us some money so we can afford to do that, please do. Yeah. <laughs> Let us see 14 day yes. our skeletons and find out if this is actually from that battle or not. Yeah. I think that would be really cool. Well, I found my new Halloween costume. I'm going to be a demi-skeleton. A demi-skeleton. <laughs> so you're just going to be a skeleton from the waist down. Yeah, I might build a wall up, <laughs> up the top half. It depends which wall, whether you're the east wall or the west wall. Because there were the bottom halves on one side and the top halves on the other side of the room. I'm going to be the bottom half. Well, maybe I should dress up as the top half. Then we could be matching. You're yeah. like one of those horse costumes where someone's the front of the horse and someone's the back of the horse. Yes. I like it. Well, thank you, Tabitha, for telling yes. us all about... And do you know what? That's not even the half of the spookiness of Passenum. No, it's so not. <laughs> we recommend a visit. We recommend looking up Passenum and looking up the ghost stories and all that kind of stuff. Yes, so, definitely. Yeah. There is much more to be said about Passenum. This is just the uh, things that we can say with the physical remains in the ground, not even going into the folklore. Well, have a happy Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. That's it for this episode. If you've got an idea for a future topic you'd like us to feature, then get in touch with us via social media. We're at MK Museum on Twitter and Facebook and at Milton Keynes Museum on Instagram. Also, check out our website, miltonkeynesmuseum.org.uk.